It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. I'm in Liverpool at the Labour Party Conference. And why wouldn't I be? It's a bit windy, actually. And uh, the Mersey outside, well, it's almost as rough as my voice. Uh, which is a bit croaky, as will become apparent on the course of the podcast, uh, mainly because of my birthday at the weekend, and uh, there was some shouting. Anyway, coming up on today's episode, Starmer 3.0 uh, is another phase for the Labour leader. What does he need to do to get his act together, and what are his colleagues saying privately? Henry Zeffman, Patrick Hennessy, uh, former advisor to uh, Sadiq Khan, and Ben Nunn, former advisor to Keir Starmer, joining uh, Henry Zeffman, the Times' associate political editor, uh, to talk us through the inner workings of what the Labour Party needs to do next. Before that, though, it's time for this. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, it's that time of the morning. We always speak to two of our favourite columnists. And I'm normally on a Monday. It's Libby Rachie, but Libby Perth is very sensibly not coming to Liverpool. Uh, for the Labour Party Conference, but Times columnist Rachel Zafes is here. Morning, Rachel. Hi, morning. And we're also joined for the Daily Mail by the political editor, John Stevens. Morning, John. Hi, I'm actually not on the mail anymore. What did I say? The mail. Did I? Which is what I keep saying to people on the phone, but obviously that's They're now at the Daily Mirror. I am, yeah. Yeah, well, well or maybe not, if I keep introducing you. <laughs> uh, how, how's your conference? It's been good. I mean, I've not got conference fatigue yet, so it's all right. It's only been, it's been fine. It's only been 24 it's hours. Been exactly. Yeah, exactly. How, does it feel like the Labour Party is talking about the things the country's talking about? I mean, I'm not sure about that at the moment. Obviously, most people in the country are talking about cost of living and talking about how this run on the pound is actually going to end up affecting them. I mean, we have heard Rachel Reeves talking about that this morning. We're expecting her to give her proper speech later on today. I'm sure it'll be something that Keir Starmer is talking about in his speech tomorrow. But so far, a lot of the announcements have been about how we can change the economy to deal with the green revolution and start getting people jobs in, you know, battery factories and all these different things. That's obviously something very important. People are worried about that, about the long term. But at the moment, a lot of people are just looking at these incredible figures coming out of the city and just wondering how on earth that's going to affect them in the pocket. Rachel, how do you think the Labour Party should respond to... The, I mean, there's sort of two... I suppose there's two possibilities, isn't there? Massive stories happening somewhere else as it, the pound is tanking as a result of what the government's done. And two things could happen. The Labour Party could become completely irrelevant or... With the media, with the national media all here, they could insert themselves into that story. It's not quite clear what they think, apart from saying, oh, that's very bad. I mean, Pat Raffada was here a minute ago. So there's a terrible package, the pound's tanking. The only thing we'd reverse is cutting the top rate of tax. I think what they're trying to do is um, give the impression that they would do a kind of long-term strategic growth package as opposed to the kind of sugar rush growth that the Tories are trying to get. Whether or not that works is another question. But I think the big kind of strategic question is whether Labour can now 
be or present itself or become in the public's mind the party of economic competence, the par party of kind of sound money, balancing the books. Uh, and the Conservative Party, rather extraordinary, seems to be sacrificing that and being these kind of reckless gamblers. So I spoke to someone quite senior in the city this morning who was saying that package on Friday was economically reckless and the markets, you know, are responding to that, that they, so the banks spent the weekend preparing for this morning and that, it, you know, this person said the most people in his world were furious uh, and also didn't want uh, tax cuts for themselves. They didn't think that was the right this thing. Is, this is the most extraordinary uh, thing, John, is it not the whole, you know, Two reasons why you do tax cuts. One, because the Tories think it might feel growth, but also they're supposed to be popular. And to have the people on over £150,000, people I've spoken to, you look at social media, people say, I don't need this. Of all the things, the priorities right now, that £2 billion could be spent on almost anything else. Yeah, and also you look at the impact that these are having with the figures with the pound. Obviously, the government's hoping that this is short-term instability and things will slightly tilt back to where they were before. But now we're talking about this morning whether the Bank of England is going to intervene this week. They put up interest rates last week. Now there's suggestions they might put them up by another full percentage point this week. And you don't have to be on the breadline to start thinking about, hang on a minute, when my fixed-term mortgage deal ends, what are rates going to be? How much is that going to be? Am I actually going to afford my mortgage? And so... Yeah, I'm sure some people are grateful for the change on NI, that you know, reversing what Rishi Sunak brought in in April. But a lot of people were worried about if you've got a massive mortgage, someone like me, you're just <laughs> doing the sums and thinking, hang on a minute, this is going to be a totally different impact on my finances. And I suppose the point is that most people know, you know, they, they work out, they say, well, we can afford that mortgage, you know, that's not much money I have each month. You know, if you're lucky, you might be saving a little bit. But sudden big changes on what's happening on it, your, your, your energy bill's doubling and your mortgage bill's going up and the fact that everything else is getting more expensive. And also, we were so used to, with interest rates, that, yeah, the Bank of England review would come round and just stay the same every yeah, yeah. time. And no one really, obviously, there was always the danger that rates was going up. But people just presumed they would carry on like they were. No one was thinking, well, I can afford this. And actually, if rates go up by so much, it'll be totally fine. Rachel, one thing I thought was interesting, um, speaking to Pat McFadden, was he the Shadow Chief Secretary of the Treasury, he was saying we're not going to fall into the Tory trap of, of opposing their tax cuts or promise to reverse their tax cuts. That's what always happens. And you sort of think, well, that's, that, that doesn't give you a sort of great sense of them being a, a party with a real sense of conviction about their own arguments, if you like. I actually thought Keir Starmer got it right over the weekend where he said he'd oppose the tax cut for the wealthy, yeah. for the 45p, but not the... Um, basic rate, yeah. 20 to 19p. I thought that looked quite sensible and balanced. And the thing, I think they're kind of making a longer-term judgment that the Tories are making themselves look very ideological and Labour uh, wants to be the sort of party of pragmatic politics and, and sort of pragmatic economics. And there is, you know, Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss have this idea that there's a kind of treasury orthodoxy up against them. But now... There, it's, it's turning out that it might be the economic reality and that, you know, you can have all your sort of think tank ideas you like, but they're actually now coming up against the, the actual real world market. Um, and these aren't people with any kind of, you know, ideology or treasury orthodoxy or kind of mindset, yeah. uh, liberal metropolitan mindset. They're just deciding what they think is going to make them money. Um, and they're betting against this at the moment. And I, th you know, the Treasury and Number 10 will be hoping that this turns around and that this is a short-term blip. 
Um, but, but a lot of Tory MPs are, are feeling very worried. It's easy for Labour MPs to make that argument, this is all ideological. When you've got quasi saying you announced these measures on Friday, the markets are clearly a bit spooked by it. For him to then go on the telly yesterday and go, this is just the start, we're going to keep going, it's no surprise that the markets react to that by thinking, well, what the hell is going on here? Well, just to start, you think, well, what else... I mean, it was a lot in there already on Friday. I mean, we should say the pound has picked up, having, having dropped quite sharply first thing this morning. It is now, well, in fact, it is still down on, uh, on where it started. It's at $1.07. Uh, which, you it's know. amazing we now all know what its sort of average is and we're following those graphs. They're just yeah. so striking, aren't they? You got outside, kind of, and you sort of look, I mean, if you look at the... Like the, the it, it was like one dollar, almost one and a half dollars to the pounds uh, back in uh, May, that May last year. So it has come down an awful lot. Do you think when... We say that the, Tory, the Tories, the, the, the cheerleaders, of the, you know, for the Conservative Party have said this is a proper Tory budget. We've finally got a proper Tory in charge. Ideological politics is back. Do you think that Labour needs to be a bit more ideological about no, this? No, absolutely don't. not. I think the voters are really pragmatic. They want somebody sensible, not ideological. That was a problem with Jeremy Corbyn, that he was putting his ideology before the country and the national interest. Um, and if Labour can position itself as the people, the, you know, the party that's pragmatist and the, the Tories are now the ideologues, that's a, that's a winning position at the next election. John, it did make me laugh at the weekend when even Jeremy Corbyn thought this package on Friday was a bit, a bit reckless and a bit much. When you're being outflanked on the right by Jeremy Corbyn, economically. I think, seriously, Labour do think that the next election, obviously previous elections, they always go back to their kind of comfort package of... You know, if you want to save the NHS, as the NHS is in danger under the Tories, you need to vote for us. And that was always seems to be the theme of by-election campaigns, election campaigns. You speak to people close to Kia, and they are desperate to be able to fight the next election, not on the NHS, which they think they've basically won that argument, that's in the bag. Yeah. They want to start converting people and have a row over the economy and say, actually, we can be trusted. And you start to see the difference here. A few years ago, you went to Labour conference, you went to Tory conference, sometimes in the same places, places like Manchester that host both of them, but it felt like very different events. Forgetting what's said on the stage and the different things said by ministers, but just the kind of atmosphere, places like here where you've got all the exhibition stands, it felt very different at Labour to Tories. If you look here, if you change all the signs from red to blue, we could be at a Tory conference when you see all these business groups who feel like Labour could be back in power and they need to start lobbying them now. Yeah, I mean, you're completely right. So where we are, uh, we've got a very smart uh, Swish uh, Times radio stand with a video wall behind us. You know, directly behind us there's Eon uh, Energy Company. Uh, I mean, they've obviously got plenty of money to pay for a stand. Uh, there's the Falklands Islands and you've got the TUC, Lloyds Bank, uh, Unison Union there, but it's, it's a, you're completely right. It feel it feels like, and then, you know, there are more people wearing suits, as if slightly fewer cloth bags, possibly. Not being too... It feels more like '97, actually, Does it? doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. then or '96. I don't know. I was at school then. Though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I think it's actually that people are starting to look at Labour as a potential future government, which didn't seem the case at the yeah. last sort of physical conference, at least. Um, it's really fascinating. And while we talk about ideology and uh, uh, the Tory party are having a row of their own, John, about immigration. It, it's part of this great big bang, let's go for it, from Liz Truss. She wants to, to allow more people into the country, which 
isn't necessarily what lots of other people sitting in our cabinet think is a good idea. Yeah, it seems to be the first big row between her cabinet ministers. But to be fair to Liz Truss, throughout the leadership campaign, whenever people like me ask her, are you going to put a cap on immigration? Are you going to set a new target? She always just said, no, it's for me, it's not about the numbers. So she's talking about how you, know, you could lift the cap on the seasonal worker scheme, which gets people to pick fruits around the country. They're worried about the number of care home workers, that we don't have enough people to staff them. So she's suggesting, well, fine, this could help the economy by relaxing the rules. But when you've got a cabinet filled with people like Suella Braverman, Jacob Rees-Mogg, they're less keen on that idea. And the, the key point with that is that you can, uh, Rachel, you bring people in, you, there are more people, so it grows the economy. But the, per, the GDP per capita, as they say, the amount of economic growth per person doesn't necessarily go up. Well, it's the, the logical conclusion of the sort of purist, free market, libertarian yeah. ideology and, and mindset is that you do have liberal immigration rules. Um, and Liz Truss has always backed that. That's not a change for her. But the problem is the um, Brexiteers won the Brexit vote by taking a very different approach on immigration. So it was this kind of mismatch of you know, libertarian, Singapore on Thames on the one hand, and then it was very protectionist, yeah. anti-immigration on the other. And Boris Johnson very cleverly straddled those two bits of the electorate to win his 2019 majority. And I think it's there's an electoral risk, um, to put it mildly, for Liz Truss in basically cutting off half the electoral um, base that won them that election. So, and the other interesting thing about the, the pound and all they're doing on the economy is that's moving politics back from kind of culture war, yeah, yeah, identity yeah. politics, onto the economy, which is much firmer ground for Labour. Yeah, it definitely gives them an in. It's lovely to see you. Have a lovely, lovely, two more days. You'll be here to the bitter end now, presumably. I know, have to be signed up to it all. Yeah, that's what happens. You've got to move to the Daily Mirror. Rachel Vester and John Stevens from the Daily Mirror there. And, of course, you can read Rachel in The Times, along with lots of other uh, great writers. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. Up next, it's Starmer 3.0. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yeah, all eyes on Liverpool tomorrow when Keir Starmer will uh, make his big speech in the conference. It'll be his third conference speech, uh, although actually in the second one with some other people in the room. This was Keir Starmer's first proper conference speech uh, last year uh, with some actual people in the hall. Work, care, equality, security... These are the tools of my trade, and with them, I will go to work. Thank you, conference. Yeah, that was very much the, uh, that was the, the hands and tools speech, um, which we all enjoyed. And it went on for absolutely ages. In fact, uh, people were listening, I think it started at our show, went right through Mariella's, and it was still on when Pienaar came on. <laughs> Uh, a bit later on. So, uh, he's been through various stages, also the Covid stage, there was a sort of getting his house in order stage. Is it now time for Starmer 3.0, the new improved, and they hope, election-winning version? Well, a few months ago, I spoke to, uh, with Patrick McGuire, actually, we spoke to very shadow cabinet members, to ask what they thought of how Starmer was doing. And some of them were less than complimentary. The word boring came up a lot. Uh, Stop boring people to death, was the headline on the front of the Times. But, uh, having seen off Boris Johnson... Uh, is uh, Keir Starmer's reputation improving amongst uh, voters? I'm joined now by Henry Zeffman, the Times Associate Political Editor. Henry, how are you? I'm very well. Brian Bushy-Tails. 
at least somebody is. Uh, we've also we've already heard from him, Ben Nunn. Uh, which which version of start? You were sort of starboard 1.0, weren't you? Uh, I think I was 2.0. You were the, the, re, the, the first reboot. Well, actually, I think I was I was with him uh, from naught to 2. Point, yes, uh, 2.0. 2.0. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Patrick Hennessy uh, is uh, a former communication advisor to Sadiq Khan, uh, now uh, London uh, communi- Communications Agency. How are you, Paddy? Very, very well, thank you, Matt. Nice to be here. Nice to have you with us. So, Henry, let's go through some of what people have been telling us. Uh, we've, we've, we've done the same experiment again, trying to get people's off-the-record uh, thoughts. Uh, here is what uh, some of the people in and around uh, Keir Starmer's team have been saying. The leader's office think all we need to do is keep hold of the Ming vase for the next two years. But the problem is that we haven't even made the Ming vase yet. Henry, explain what we're talking about there, the Ming vase metaphor. Um, well, I, th- I think what that uh, person is voicing is the fear, uh, and I don't think it's sort of a, a pervasive fear, but a sort of concern uh, that um, Starmer has calmed down the Labour Party. I mean, that's the really striking feature of this conference for me compared to previous conferences, including Keir's last year, where his control over the Labour Party was less secure than it is, tr- is now, but has maybe calmed it down Uh, at the expense of having a sort of clarity of vision and message and offer to the British public. Do you think that's fair, Ben? This idea of sort of carrying the Ming vase across a highly polished... Was it Tony Blair used that? uh, Was it it a Blair thing, Paddy? Yeah, I've also heard it used in a a football context with uh, managers playing safe. Yeah, but the idea that all you need to do is just carry the Ming vase across the highly polished floor without dropping it. Has he got a Ming vase? I, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not an expert on Ming vases, so I'm going to avoid getting into that discussion. <laughs> um, I, I, what I do agree with is you can't... I think too often in Labour Party's history, it's, a, it's, it's assumed that pe- people will vote, just vote for them. It doesn't feel like it needs to earn the vote. And so um, the Labour Party... Throughout my time in the Labour Party, when I worked for Keir, etc., that my fear was always we dip into complacency. So... Um, it has got to be wary of that. That being said, I think the least complacent person in Labour Party is Keir. Uh, he is the one that he, he knows true to himself that he has got to keep earning it, he's got to keep fighting for it. We've got a bit of that as well, actually. So uh, let's, let's hear a bit more of what some of the people are telling us. Everyone seems to think we're already in government. I don't. Everything has to go right. People forget that John Smith, God bless him, probably wasn't going to win a landslide. That's where we are now. And this is a really important point, isn't it, uh, Henry, is that Keir Starmer needs a bigger landslide than Tony Blair just to get a majority of one. Yeah, I think... I think in terms of landslide swing. Yeah, no, no, of, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think you can't lose sight of the fact that, yeah, while this is a Conservative government in its fourth term, uh, they won an eight-seat majority uh, barely three years ago. Um, I mean, I, I think one historic thing has to happen at the next election, right? Either the Conservatives will win a fifth consecutive term, albeit the four terms haven't been full, or Keir Starmer will become the greatest election winner, the greatest electoral alchemist uh, since Blair, if not before. Um, and you can make a very convincing case based on historical precedent that one or the other of those won't happen. One of them has to happen, mm. but certainly you know, the natural inclination of many people around this hall um, to be pessimistic <laughs> gives rise to quotes like that, where people say, well, you know, of course he needs to be bolder, he needs to have a bigger lead, whatever. Um, but, yeah, of course, you know, th- th- there, there is a lot of... I mean, look, Ben and Patrick probably can both um, 
identify with this. I mean, a lot of the people I speak to here are clearly scarred by 2019, 2017, 2015 and 2010. And so, of course, they're finding it hard to convince themselves, despite some increasingly compelling evidence, um, that the Labour Party might actually not fluff the next election. Uh, let's hear from another. This is another shadow cabinet source. The problem with being Prime Minister is that you have to be the leader of the Labour Party first. I thought that was a short one. I think the idea with that... I think <laughs> the, they're right. This is a you could also be the leader of the Conservative Party. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Historically, I, yeah. think, I think the point, uh, the fuller quote from that, this is the idea that the, the, being the leader of the opposition is one thing, being the Prime Minister is another. And the, cat, the, the, the suggestion... In fact, I think that the, the conversation that I remember having around this was that actually Keir would probably make a better Prime Minister than the leader of the opposition, and Liz Truss would make a better leader of the opposition than Prime Minister. Certainly her current sort of... I've got loads of big ideas and they're all going to be really good, you know, and we're seeing what happens where they then come crashing into reality. Is that a fair criticism, Ben? Uh, no, I, I think... I don't think it's fair. I think, look at... So, um, look at the Labour Party Keir inherited in March, April 2020, whenever it was. Uh, it was busted. It was completely broken. It was rock bottom. And the very idea of saying to people like you, and I remember at the time saying, you know, Labour could win the next election, you literally got laughed at. It was just thought, you are done. This, this is going to be, he might be lucky if he does a Kinnock. It's, it's that serious. Look where he is two years, three years on, and that is a lot to do with the work he did. Um, on the kind of, if you allow me a couple of seconds, on the kind of three stages of Keir's leadership, I've always thought there are three, is the first phase was the new leadership, which was about fixing the party, being serious about anti-Semitism, being willing to vote for the Brexit deal, um, uh, showing competence after years of incompetence. The second phase was defining the Tories. Actually, how do you... Ed couldn't do it, um, Gordon couldn't do it, Jeremy didn't do it, uh, couldn't actually define the Conservatives in a way which, you know, damaged their electoral brand. So the second phase was damaging their brand. The third phase, which is where he is now, is, all right, what is, the, what is your argument for the next election? What is your pitch to the electorate? And that's where he is now. How much... Do you think uh, that actually the Tories are defining themselves and there's a risk that Labour people are reading into that? Oh, we're really good, aren't we? The Tories are tanking the polls, aren't we really good? And actually the Tories have done that to themselves. And so therefore they ha the Labour Party hasn't really, you know, and there's, there's always this argument, well, you we don't want to interrupt your, yeah. your, your, your opponent when they're shooting themselves in the foot. But also, you, you know, it's, if it's the Tories are mucking up, that's very different to a successful strategy on your own terms. Yeah. So if the Tories suddenly get their act together again, the Labour Party's back where it was. Yeah, yes. So I, you, can't, you can't just rely on your opponent. I mean, I don't think they're just shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, they're just cutting their legs off. I mean, they seem desperate to lose the next election. <laughs> so you can't, you, don't, you can't just rely on those. But you do need to be agile and smart and kind of spot what is the arguments, yeah. what is the focus going to be. And I think... I thought Keir's speech in July was really important when he said, I want to fight next election on the economy and I want to make it an argument about growth. Yeah. Like, it was apps, that is exactly right. And I think by doing things like those, those kind of set speeches like that, it, it gives you currency when you go into the next couple of months. What do you think, Paddy? Yeah, I, I, I do tend to agree, and I, I, I take the point, obviously, about the Tories shooting themselves into the, in the foot. I, I think they're probably shooting themselves in the leg and the knee and <laughs> getting up, uh, further up the body as well. One thing, though, I think Labour needs to do um, a bit better 
is um, a lie itself, you know, totally with where the public is. And in particular, they are suffering mm. because of the cost of living crisis. We're all suffering because of, you know, what is now a, a sterling crisis. And I see the slogan, a fairer, greener future. Uh, it doesn't really say to me that is where the public is now and that is where we are going to be with you every step of the way. I think green is fine, but you've got to ally, ally green to green growth, green yeah. jobs, the future, people's jobs, people's livelihoods, because they're hurting at the moment. They want, they want the opposition to be on their side. It's funny you mentioned the slogan. We will come on to the slogan in a moment because quite a lot of the conversation we've been having around the Labour Party, lots of, lot, there are lots of big arguments that all seem to have been funnelled through the particular issue with the slogan. I'm actually live at the Labour Party conference in Liverpool where all the banners and signs have all got the same slogan written on a fairer, greener future, it says. And uh, in preparation for uh, uh, thinking about what we're going to talk, uh, talk about at the Labour Party conference, I spoke to uh, shadow cabinet ministers, people in and around T uh, Keir Starmer's team, and it turns out this slogan has had uh, quite a few iterations, and lots of people seem to have very strong views on it. Uh, some in particular in Keir Starmer's own team aren't particularly happy. You do question the wisdom of a situation where the government are saying they're going to scrap green levies, framing it as a necessary step in the winter to counter energy price hikes. And Deborah, in her infinite wisdom, she's been pushing this, has decided this is the right way to go. It's f***ing mad. The shadow cabinet are livid about it. It's this completely brainless set of thought processes, which is going to mean we don't win the next election. It's massively in conflict with everything we're told, that we need to chase economically precarious Tory voters from 2019 who were previously Labour voters. If the government's message is going to be, we care about the environment, sure, but the green levy is adding to bills, this is a matter of priorities, and our response is more green, it's falling into a gigantic elephant trap marked elephant trap. Uh, that was one Shadow Cabinet source uh, speaking to us for reasons you'll understand on the condition of anonymity. Now, Deborah, you heard about there's Deborah Matters, the chief strategist. Uh, she used to come on Times Radio a lot before she went uh, uh, to work for Kia. Uh, she's in charge of the polling and focus groups, and she seems to be the one who came up with the slogan of Fair Agreed in Britain. Other Starmer aides are equally baffled. This idea that we need to pitch to green voters, which some of my colleagues are putting about, is just plain wrong. This conference is all about taking the fight to the government. And I asked the Shadow Chief Secretary of the Treasury, Pat McFadden, what he thought about the slogan. If you asked me, and I come to these events quite a lot, could I tell you any of the slogans we've had at these conferences in well, New years? Labour, New Britain, things could only get How better. How long ago was that? Well, exactly. That, well, that was, was when Labour used to win elections. I was elections. about to tell you. When I couldn't started. remember any of them in recent years, but <laughs> the one I liked was New Labour, New Britain. That was <laughs> Henry, explain why this matters. Well, I think that from Pat McFadden is an admirably and characteristically laconic way of actually basically uh, accepting that the slogan's a bust. Um, which I do think, I mean, generally at this conference so far, the people who are enthused by Keir Starmer's leadership or by Jeremy Corbyn not being leader, which is most of the people who are still here, um, are happy with how things are going. But they are channeling their lingering doubts through questions about the slogan. I mean, in that very long and very bleeped out clear. Uh, there are a few different things going on. So first there is just the question of whether Labour should be talking about green issues. And I'm not meeting people who are saying we shouldn't be green, we shouldn't be talking about green issues at all. But there is a question of prioritisation. You know, should the slogan and the central message not be, perhaps, about the economy, but of course while you're talking about the economy, while you're talking about growth, you say, and by the way, 
you know, we're not going to abandon net zero, we're going to do this to promote green growth, whatever it may be. Um, there is also, as you mentioned, the question about whether Keir has the right people around him in his team. Um, you get very split opinion on that. Some people love Deborah Masson, who you mentioned. Some people definitely don't. But, you know, as, as both of my fellow panellists can attest, <laughs> right, that happens in uh, leader of the opposition's offices. And, you know, there are always divides. Um, but look, I guess it's, it is, it's, the, it's the business end of the season, if we're going to return to football analogies. And, um, you know, if, if there are lingering concerns around um, Keir's team, then, you know, now is probably the time to put the people in place who are going to carry him into the next election. Um, you know, stick or twist moment. Um, and look, this slogan is, I think, a pretty bad, uh, a pretty bad mark uh, on the on the ledger sheet for the people who've who've shepherded it into being. To be honest, but, but uh, Ben, some people think we're sort of overanalyzing what is just something that most people are not going to notice or see. Although it is on, you know, it's planted on the TV coverage. So it, as in when there is TV coverage, people might see it then, I suppose. But the point is, it's one of those, it's one of those sort of slogans that literally anyone could claim, claim, would put that on their, on their, um, you know, from the BMP to the Socialist Workers' Party, you could put that on the, I don't know, I don't know what the BMP's wind farm uh, policies are. But it doesn't tell you anything about the Labour Party, you probably wouldn't assume already. And actually, I, oh, this morning as I was walking in, somebody, somebody mentioned to me, you know, why is the slogan just not get the effing Tories out? Like that's the, 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 what you, is there another point right now? Liz Truss has arrived, the economy's tanking, a little bit more welly or something. Yeah, so um, slogans matter, and, and I will address it, because they do matter, and uh, uh, they matter. Although, But it does say something about the Labour Parties, uh, where Labour Party is, that the big argument at conference is about slogans. <laughs> I, I was through the Jeremy years and the early years of Keir's leadership, and it was, if it was just about the slogan, <laughs> my life would have been much, much better. Uh, Slogans do matter, <clears throat> but it's the argument that's more important at this stage. When you get to the election, your slogan is really, really important and, uh, uh, because it needs to harness the argument you're making to the country and it needs to be something people in the pub, pub would say. Sorry. <clears throat> but I think it's the argument which is more important at the moment and where, where I think Keir has got to stay at this week is talking about the economy, yeah. being confident talking about the economy and owning the growth argument. I've... I've long believe that the next election will be about the economy. But even more so, Labour's got to be much more confident, say we will get the economy growing again. It's got to be in that, that space because unless we're winning the economic argument, unless we've got a compelling alternative to Liz's uh, economic growth argument, we're not going to win. It's interesting, Paddy, uh, Paddy when, uh, when Pat McFadden was here earlier, and I asked him, well, what is it, you know, this, this package which has got the, the pound tanking, what is it that Labour wouldn't... <coughs> doing it and the only thing that he could say was the 45p yeah. uh, scrapping the 45p factor and there's something about and there's you, know, you can make an argument where you don't want to go into the next election promising to put income tax up from 19p to 20 but the economy is currently tanking on the basis of Liz Truss's plan so the Labour Party's position at the moment is the only thing they wouldn't do is scrap the top weight of tax I think I think they um, it's, it's I think quite bad luck I mean this sounds a bit counterintuitive but if your, your conference is literally the next day after a big fiscal event that the government has, you, <coughs> you naturally are going to be dragged as an opposition party onto the territory, good or bad, that the government has come out. Yes, you probably could have had a sort of slightly better finessing of the argument rather than saying we'd uh, drop the very top, uh, drop the cancellation of the very, very top 
rate of tax, but keep the 19% the, the tax rate. I don't think economically, in terms of tax, there's that much that more they could have done. I think it's just, it's just, I think overall, you'll just have a lot of people listening to um, shows like your own, watching TV, uh, 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock news, and they will see Labour being forced on to sort of, as it were, arguments where elsewhere you've got ministers looking important and sort of reinforcing a view that they are in charge, although they are in charge of a pound that is going through the floor and is its worst level since, you know, 1643 or something like that. I mean, the flip side of that argument, Ben, is that, and you'll know this from your, your, your spin doctrine days of Keir Starmer, sometimes if you were having a conversation here entirely about internal part of yeah. party rules or something, then you definitely wouldn't be getting on the news. At least politics is right at the top of the headlines. It's what everyone in the country is talking about. Cost of living crisis, state of the economy, the value of the pounds. <coughs> You just need to insert yourself Definitely. into that. I, I, that's really, that, is, for me, is really, really um, important. And actually, I think the last couple of days they have handled it quite well. I thought what Keir said yesterday around the 45p rate allowed him. Rachel's speech being today allows me to talk about the economy, but they have got to be, in, I totally agree, they've got to be very, very agile this week. Particularly if the Bank of England, and you know, some people are speculating, if they call for an urgent rate, or do an emergency meeting cause a rate rise, Key and Rachel could be on that stage straight away, seize the fact the entire country's media are here and just get in front of the camera very quickly. Uh, that's where they've got to be incredibly agile. I was, I was thinking about that, Paddy. It was it 2007, 2008? David Cameron yeah. did that yeah. when the economy was in quite. He sort of came on stage on the Sunday, I think, yeah, and sort of did. tore up his speech yeah. and yeah. all that sort of and stuff. It, and, and, and it was very effective. And, you know, whatever one thinks about Cameron politically, he was a very effective political communicator um, as a leader of the opposition. Exactly that. He inserted himself and themselves. And they, at that stage, were on the same number of parliamentary seats virtually yeah. that Labour is now. But they were very much there, part of the, uh, very much part of the argument, on the side of the people and looking as though they could deliver. But, I mean, hasn't enough even happened today, even though the markets have stabilised slightly? You know, why doesn't Keir come on after Rachel's speech and say, you know... Here is the economy section of the speech I was going to deliver tomorrow, but it's been given a fresh urgency, and I want to get out there straight away and tell you, the British people, because Liz Truss hasn't said anything to you, Kwasi Kwarteng hasn't said anything to you today, what this means for you and what Labour would do. As it stands, and I'm not just complaining about this because I'm a Liverpool fan, he's going to come on stage at the end of the day and go, oh, isn't it great that Gary Neville supports us? Isn't that cool? Um, which I, I, I actually think, would have thought was trivial a few months ago, let alone yeah. uh, where we are now. And I think, you know, a little less excitement that Gary Neville seems to be voting for the Labour Party uh, and a little bit more on stage, you know, this is what a Labour Party is going to do about the economy. I look more prime ministerial than this. Why don't they say that the Tories should cancel conference recess? I mean, Labour have already practically had their conference. Yeah. Right? That puts the Tories in I mind. will come back to London tomorrow. Well, so I, I think, uh, I, I don't think Keir necessarily has to do it. Rachel needs to use her speech today to kind of say, I know what's going on. I used to work at the Bank of England. I know what to do. I do actually, I, I agree there is, you know, for the opposition, it's all about process stories. How do you kind of wedge yourself in to call on the government to do something? I think something like saying that Parliament needs to be back tomorrow, and if that means I'm on the train back from Liverpool to London, I'll be there because yeah. this is so deeply serious. So um, I, I, th I do actually, I genuinely think they've wedged themselves quite well into the economic story thus far, but they've got to keep, keep, keep doing it. And don't think once Wednesday's happened, it's pack up time and they can have a week off. Like, you know, they, they've, if I was them, I'd be wedging themselves into Tory conference as well. Like, just keep this momentum going because that's. That's what's crucial in those, these kind of moments. And particularly, Paddy, if we, we start seeing cabinet ministers 
Well, I think Chloe Smith was on Times Ready Breakfast this morning doing her best to avoid answering any question at all. Uh, and if we don't see Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss coming out, then actually there, come, there, come, there comes a space yeah. for the Labour Party to insert and to shape that. Uh, and actually, you know, to some extent, it ends up being quite easy for Keir. Keir could do a sort of address that, look, this is going to be, there's no sugarcoat in this, this is going to be really tough, this is an absolute disaster, and I'm sorry, but I'm not in government and I can't do anything about it. Uh, but this is what the government should be doing right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a sort of golden scenario if the, uh, if the, if the government vacate the pitch. You did have mornings, uh, whole days, whole news cycles during Partygate where this happened, yeah. um, where there were no uh, government spokesperson at all on, on any of the media. That, uh, apart from... Uh, Giving uh, uh, employment to uh, extra employment to journalists who uh, are pundits uh, who can fill the space also gives a golden space to the to any leader of the opposition to say right look exactly as you said I'm not in charge here this is terrible I would do this so go on then uh, last question what what should the slogan be Ben I'm glad you asked Ben first because I can think about uh, it I've got a bit of time to think about it now. get Britain growing again get Britain growing again. Something to do with words like growth, forward, Britain, on your side. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is terrible. I don't know, I don't know how the, I used to make my living like that. We're on the radio, Paddy. I thought <laughs> 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 having a breakdown. Uh, Henry, have you got any better ideas? I know it's not I your think job. just go full Cameron. Time for a change. Time for a change. Well, actually, I'd say I've loved, always liked the fresh start. I thought the fresh start yeah. argument was, was the right That was one. the slogan until yeah. last week. That's the thing that's really baffling in my reporting around this. Is, I mean, it's on the front of the book. Yeah. I've got it here. It so, was yeah. literally the slogan. This is a fresh start with Labour. Somewhere else I've seen a fresh start for Britain. Yeah, yeah. And then someone yeah. told me they thought that... A shadow cabinet minister told me they'd been told that they changed the slogan because they thought talking about a fresh start would be disrespectful to the Queen. Steady <laughs> on. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was denied. Unclear what's gone on, but that is definitely uh, do, uh, less sorry, rubbish. I know, um, change, change, change. Like, the next election will be about status quo or change, and Labour's got to make it change. You've also got to be on your side. I'm going to go with on your side. I'm going to go with a fresh start. Let's fresh, that one. Very good. Change. Oh, yeah. was that, was it your, was it, because that was you were in charge. Uh, fresh start. No, 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 oh, no, no. That's no, no, fine. Yeah. Very good. Really good to see you, chaps. Yes, good uh, to see you. Nice, nice to see you. That's Ben Nunn, uh, former uh, communications uh, chief for uh, Keir Starmer. Yeah, I remember his name. Uh, I'm having a meltdown like Paddy. Paddy Hennessy, uh, former communications advisor for Stunning Card, and Henry Zephyr of the Times is associate political editor. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We're bringing the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from? <laughs>